0: This information is for educational purposes only. References to commercial products or trade names does not imply endorsement by MSU Extension or a bias against those not mentioned. MSU is an Affirmative Action Equal Opportunity Employer. Michigan State University Extension programs and materials are open to all. This work is supported by the USDA National Institute of Food and Agriculture Crop Protection and Pest Management Program, and through the North Central IPM Center. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast are those of the authors and do not necessarily reflect the view of the U.S. Department of Agriculture.
1: You're listening to the MSU Hot Podcast with Extension Educators Erin Lazat and Dr. Rob Sarine. well okay so I think we should say like welcome oh we should probably look up and see what I ended
2: up naming this podcast so we can do that happy sparty podcast party spotty um,
3: and then not-
2: we should also um, yeah I think we should go over like the first podcast we talked with blah 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 about this do think? Like
0: just
2: a little preview. Oh
1: yeah, a mini preview of each of them. Yeah. Welcome, everybody. <laughs> Is people. that your broadcaster voice? Yeah.
2: <clears throat> <laughs> well, we are really excited to introduce this episode. It's our first podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it, uh, we'll be talking about hop terroir with Alex Adams, who is the CEO of Cambium Analytica, uh, cannabis and hop testing lab in Traverse City, as well as Aaron Staples, a graduate student working with Dr. Trey Malone uh, at Michigan State University. And the topic, as I mentioned, is hop terroir.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Um, there's so much exciting stuff happening around this topic. And, you know, sometimes when you've been working on a project for a long time or like pushing on a project for a long time, it feels like you're not getting any traction. And all of a sudden, in the last, you know, year and a half, and especially this spring, it feels like there's been some real traction behind these efforts. So that's really exciting.
2: It is. Yeah. And it's also an exciting word to say, hua. (laughs) <laughs> uh, even though like the, the autocorrect spelling wants it to be terrier repeatedly over and over again. And it doesn't. Anyways, um, so, yeah, the the results are pretty cool. So this is definitely one worth um, listening to. And um, I should mention our other partners on this grant are um, Scott Sturr of Solar Spruce Brewing and Alec Mull of Founders Brewing. Um, And there's some interesting results and some potential interesting marketing implications, uh, for, for Michigan hop growers. Um, the other thing that's I think pretty cool is yes, there's a a difference. Uh, obviously you grow the same crop in a different location. You're going to have a different aroma. Um, that is intriguing for brewers, but it's also intriguing because if they're looking for a standard Chinook hop, you know, that might tend to be piney, um, maybe the michigan chinook is not the chinook they should be looking for and so that's good to know as well for the consistency Mm -hmm. of their beer so Mm -hmm. it kind of goes both ways and um, some pretty cool results on this one and good discussion
1: yeah so if you're not in your car or your tractor (laughs) (laughs) crack a beer and enjoy a michigan hopped beer of course and enjoy this episode on terroir Yeah. So guys, thanks for agreeing to do the podcast today. So Rob and I kind of talked about it and I mean, we really want it to be conversational. I'm hoping we can have some laughs and some appropriate fun that would not get us (laughs) censured by the university in any way. Um, But yeah, we want to have just like a conversation with people that are excited and interested about things kind of related to the hop and beer industry. And so you guys are like, the perfect first guests for our podcast cool. and um, just the work you guys have been doing around this untapping terroir paper and um, you know I kind of get little inklings of it from Rob but we're just really looking forward to talking to you about it today. Um, I wanted to start off with just like basic introductions um, so Aaron, would you start us off with an introduction of kind of your connection to Hops in Michigan?
0: Sure. Uh, So my name is Aaron Staples. I'm a second-year PhD student in the Department of Ag, Food, and Resource Economics. I got to MSU in 2019. I started working with Trey Malone who kind of introduced me to hops in the first place. I started out more on the the beer and brewing side, looking at sustainability in beer, Um, but My move to MSU up into Michigan really made me focus on the Michigan value chain of hops moving from the hop yard to the brewer to the consumer.
1: Yeah, excellent. Well, we're glad you're here. Thanks. Uh, Alex, did you want to tell us about your connection?
3: Sure. So I started um, working. I got a degree in plant biology from MSU, and I actually started working in hops when Rob, Rob Serine, hired me uh, to be a laborer on the uh, the the famous uh, Michigan State University hop research plot in Sutton Bay.
1: <laughs> Is it famous? I didn't know that.
2: <laughs> it's not there anymore. So yeah, it's
1: infamous.
3: infamous. <laughs> I think, yeah, more so inf- I think we inf-
2: had a, a more professional tighter title than laborer, though.
3: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> might have been. But um, um, but anyways, I worked in lots. I worked in lots of different areas. Uh, the hop industry over the Next few years and, um, and worked in, in labor, built hop yards, managed farms, worked in processing, uh, worked in agronomy, and then uh, I pivoted into cannabis. And that's kind of the world I'm living in now, but I'm super excited that we still get to work on projects um, and, and do research on hops. So
1: awesome. Thanks. And uh, Robert?
3: Hi, Aaron.
2: Uh, Aaron and I work on hops for Michigan State University. We've been doing this for 15 years. Uh, I'm uh, an extension educator based in Leelanau County um, and also a member of the community food systems work team. So I do work in that uh, realm as well.
1: I'm like 15 years, maybe combined. I'm only 27, so that's impossible
3: for me. But. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so how long did you guys, like, you guys were both working on, uh, at the same extension for a while, right? But now you're at separate locations?
2: Yeah, so Aaron was at the up. research station. So we, w- w- yeah, we weren't really in the same building.
1: Okay. So we were both in Leelanau County, though, and we yeah. both had a pretty focused work with fruit in the region. Um, And then hops kind of started to emerge. I I was trying to remember, I think it was actually, was it 2009? Somewhere
2: in there, eight or nine. Yeah,
1: yeah. that we put on kind of our first hop conference. And I remember it was just like, well, we didn't, you put it on. I came and talked about pathology and it was terrible because I didn't know what I was talking about at all. Um, Yeah, I
3: think actually that I talked about building trellises and it was awesome.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I, I, we all started out. As, yeah, we all started out as amateurs in this together, which is kind of fun because we've created a lot of, I think, knowledge and information over time, which yeah. is really exciting. And it's unique. Well, you don't that's get to not, do that that's not let not
3: lie to anybody. That. We're still very much amateurs.
1: <laughs> oh, absolutely. <laughs> but we talk a really good game. So yeah, for that's
3: sure. Fine. Yeah, in yeah, about
2: five generations, we'll have it down.
1: Yeah, bacon, yeah. You make it. <laughs> Perfect. Well, I thought a good place to start our conversation today was just to talk a little bit about what terroir is, because I think it's a term that maybe we're familiar with a little bit on the kind of wine or wine grape side of things, but maybe we haven't thought about how it could apply to other egg products um, like hops. So, does anybody want to take a crack at giving a, a good definition of terroir? Terroir
2: uh yeah i mean i can start it's a french word uh you and folks probably associate it with uh wine grapes um and it describes uh the different environmental factors that affect uh you know a crops growth habits um in in some you know the flavor and aroma that are a result of you know the environment where it's grown if that makes sense and the farming practices et cetera.
3: Yeah, and I think it means kind of a different thing. Like, I think what we're learning is it means a little bit different uh, for every crop you talk about it, you know, just based on the products that are made from that crop. I think that what we're learning is with, with hops is, you know, the terroir uh, uh, attributes of the, the um, product are, are different than what you would describe from grapes because of the processes they go through. And with hops, it's very much about aroma. almost completely about aroma where, um, I think grapes it's, it's always, you know, been a little bit different because there's a lot of, a lot of different, uh, attributes and, and growing practices are different and, um, processes to make wine are different and they change the aromas and things like that. And I think hops is very much about preserving aroma, um, which is kind of new. I think it's kind of cool that, um, maybe it's a new definition for it, you know,
1: Yeah, I was really interested kind of watching the evolution of this work in the development of the methodology to kind of look at terroir and hops because it was something that had to be developed to start the project, right? So we didn't, you know, would you look at hops right off the vine in the field or after drying or after the brewing process? Can you guys talk a little bit about the decision-making factors that led to the methodology that you came up with? and? And how that works
0: yeah sure i can take a stab at that um so really we were all over the place with this methodology that's why the paper is kind of long Uh, we had a really a three-part procedure that we wanted to go through Um, so the first was collecting hop samples from the different hop yards so two from the pacific northwest and then two from michigan Uh, and then alex you could talk more about the terpene analysis and the unknowns analysis, but really we wanted to see whether there was chemical distinctions between these hops because they're grown in the different eco regions. Um, And then from there, we asked Scott Stirr of Silver Spruce Brewing Company to brew us a baseline beer. So just a a five barrel baseline beer that we then separated out into smaller vats uh, and then dry hop these with our different hop samples so that ended up giving us four different beers that were dry hopped with four different hops. Then we had these beer industry professionals taste the beers like a blind taste test and rank these different sensory attributes or aroma attributes of the beers to see if there was any any chemical distinctions between them or sensory distinctions, I should say. Um, and then finally, we incorporated Uh, a brewer preference part to this paper where we wanted to look at whether brewers value local hops more than non-local hops. So what we did was ask brewers to engage in a series of hypothetical hop purchasing decisions. Here they were presented with different hop alternatives. So a state grown hop, like if you're a Michigan brewer, the hops were grown in Michigan, a Pacific Northwest hop or a Great Lakes hop, You could also choose none of the above, Um, but really we wanted the brewer to think about these hops as like the same hop cultivar, but what we're differing is their place of origin and the price. And what's nice about this uh, hypothetical hop purchasing decision is that it allows us to measure the trade-off that people make uh, without explicitly asking them to make that trade-off, like rather than coming out and saying, How much are you willing to pay for local hops versus non-local hops? We're asking them to, more like a marketplace, consider the price and place of origin trade-off. And this allowed us to detect whether brewers were willing to pay a premium for the local hops compared to non-local hops. Uh, And then based on other survey data that we had, we can try to draw uh, inference about why or what is leading this premium with terroir being one component of that.
1: That's great.
2: Can I ask Alex to, to Aaron, sorry to interject, um, to talk about, you know, the five barrel uh, baseline and some of the issues we had um, in 2018 when we tried to do this and what changes we make. I think that's important to try to maintain that consistency Sure. the beers.
3: Yeah, and I think, you know, th- we keep doing this. um, And this is a cool, cool experiment. It's a cool study to keep doing year over year and kind of learning what we can do better the next time. Um, There's a ton of things we learned this year that we're going to implement next year. But um, the first time we did this, we actually brewed two separate beers and hopped them separately, did did two separate boils, um, two separate mash. um, And it just there's so many variables and there's too many it ultimately we just made two different beers and it was the, 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 the malt bill and some of the other, uh, you know, just attributes of the beer were kind of overwhelmed what we were trying to, to figure out with the sensory analysis of the hop. So we decided to brew a, um, a single beer, um, hop it at, um, at, uh, what, what, a, right at the beginning with, uh, cascade. So there was, there was no aroma probably left over from the cascade. So it was just bitterness added, uh, from the cascade and the boil. And then a single beer was brewed and then it was transferred into separate bright tanks and hopped in those bright tanks, um, with the different hops. So, so that made a, a lot more stable beer. And then what we learned this year is we just need to hop it more. Um, I think it was a really balanced beer and it, it, and uh, from what I understand, it tasted really good, but it, um, it uh, just needs to, we just really need to like make a beer that, you know, maybe we wouldn't drink or maybe, it, you know, uh, wouldn't be sold in a brewery cause it's just, well, you know, I don't know. It It's uh, it could be super tasty, but it just needs to be hopped more so that we can actually perceive the differences a little bit better. But I mean, that kind of goes, So when you're, when you're doing research like this, it all comes down to just finding more ways to, to add controls. And I think that, you know, we added more controls here. And especially with the, the chemical analysis, there's so many controls that we can start going back up into the harvest and, and start uh, adding more controls there. Like we don't know when these, these Chinook hops were harvested and harvest date we talked about as a component of terroir and, that perhaps we could have brewed four distinctly different beers um, from the same farm with, harvested at different times. So making, you know, a determination or making some, uh, some claims about the terroir being influenced by location um, isn't really something that's that easy to do when we don't have the, the upstream controls, like um, knowing when something was harvested, knowing how it was dried, knowing the temperature it was dried. So I think that going forward, the more research we do, the more we should try to control this experiment and really try to define terroir as the location and the, you know, the environment that, that the hop has grown and try to uh, mitigate all the effects of processing and, and all the downstream effects um, from the actual plant growing. Um, yeah, that's
1: always such a challenge with research especially you know a lot of the ag research we do that is in the field it's based off of a crop grown outside Mm -hmm. that um intrinsically we can't control the environment right Um, and and that speaks to the importance of replicating this year after year right to take into account seasonal variability harvest date you know, starting to manipulate some of those factors over time right um you know hopefully based on some concept of you know, well, we, we're pretty sure harvest date is going to affect this, or we're pretty sure that, you know, a crazy amount of rainfall we got this year might affect this. So how do we see, you know, we think of terroir as being so dependent on kind of these um, regional or climate conditions, rainfall, things like that. How does the difference in weather patterns and conditions from season to season affect terroir? Um, is it really obvious or does terroir kind of use
3: I think fundamentally, it just is, it is terroir. So I think that sometimes, you know, we might try to, def- I think that sometimes we might try to be defining terroir too much where it's just like, it's so, it's everything. So mm-hmm. like, you know, when we, with the, the paper untapping, it's really, it's really fun. And it's, um we're chipping away at being able to untap, you know, or figure out like what's happening and when, and you know, we're just scratching the surface at, uh, in finding some of these variables and the effects they have. And each one of those like things like weather or just temperature or light is like just a whole world of research in itself.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: so this is, um, just such a big, big, big concept, which is really exciting. Um, but yeah, I think that the answer to that question is we don't know. And that's what we're, we're trying to figure out. And, um, I don't really even know what we're going to do with it once we do figure it out. <laughs> you know <what> I mean? <laughs> well,
2: that's when it gets exciting. Like, and by the way, it's an awesome title staples Untapping Terminal. term. Yeah. I didn't yeah. mention that before, but that's really good. Um, and, it comes
3: down, and, and Aaron would be able to comment more on this. It all comes down to, and we talked about this in, in, at the Brewers Guild, it all comes down to preference. Like, like we really want to understand these things and ultimately we want to understand them so we can control them. And we want to be able to control them so that we can create products that we know are preferable to people. Um, and it's just really cool. I mean, this is, I think part of this, like learning how to, how to do this research is also learning how to, how to survey people for preference better. And that's actually a question I have for, for Aaron, what, how, how, when we, when we decided, okay, we're going to, we're going to decide, uh, 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 talk about preference and use some of these um, these statistical analysis and surveys, how did you guys choose these particular ones? And then what would you guys do differently uh, next time with, with uh, maybe using uh, different statistical models or different uh, highlighting, you know, whatever. I, I, it was something that I wasn't very familiar with. So I was excited to learn more about.
0: Sure. Yeah. Um, So I mean, like everything in the world, uh, COVID really sidetracked this project. I remember the blind taste tests were like, literally the last thing I remember doing before the lockdowns, uh, those happened the first week of March. Um, and we brewed five barrels of beer. So giving people four ounces of four different beers, six, so 16 ounces. Yeah. We didn't go through a whole five barrels of beer. So. What we really wanted to do is then have um, these like blind taste tests or give different treatments to um, consumers in like an actual brewery setting uh, and like change the amount of information that we give them and have them do the blind taste test and ask them how much they're willing to pay for these different beers. So if we tell a Michigan beer consumer that, hey, this beer has. Michigan hops in it, are they more likely to then say that the attributes are then different than if they were given no information at all about where the hops are from? Um, and I think that's a big component of this, the marketing of terroir marketing of hop origin, uh, to the consumer, especially like tying it to the consumer preference for localness.
3: And that's going to be really cool. Like that's bigger data. And that's going to be cool if you get if we can brew a bigger batch of beer, distribute it, you know, um, to different locations, different breweries, and get just larger sample sizes of people. Um, that that'd just be so cool. And I think uh,
0: right because that yeah. was that, that was limiting in right. our uh, in our most recent study because of we only had fifty nine observations. So trying to detect differences like statistically significant differences between the different scores of the beers it was tough to do that with such a small sample so increasing the sample size will really help that in future studies
3: what's an example of the alteration in the question um, that you'd ask
0: so uh, if we include different treatment types so that would be saying that like if one person walks into the brewery, they're going to be told that about the hop origin. Like They're going to oh, okay. be told that beer A is Michigan hops and beer B is Pacific Northwest hops, and then go through the study. But then um, the next consumer that walks through the door, they're not going to get any of that information.
3: Uh-huh.
0: Um, so from that, we'll be able to kind of tease out the effect of...
3: Suggestion. What it,
0: Yeah. What is this? Um, like if a brewer puts the hop origin on their taproom board, what is the effect of like perceived sensory
3: profiles? Mm -hmm. Is there some kind of like, sorry, Aaron, I turned into the
1: interviewer. No, this is what I wanted. I
3: actually always had so many questions about this.
1: I told you, I just wanted to hear beer geeks talk about beer and Um, box. So go for it.
3: No, (laughs) sorry. Um, I was going to ask though, so is there like a different is there um some kind of uh model that you guys use sometimes where you just lie to people? Like deliberately lie or is that would you would that yield the same results as telling them the truth?
0: Uh so in our field we're not allowed to lie. Uh we're not allowed to deceive consumers. Okay. Other fields, uh like psychology experiments, they use a lot of deception. But inside the economics realm of these choice experiments, uh, we're not um, we're not supposed yeah, to. And I should mention that you have to get
2: approval for, for the university to do all of that yeah. type of work. Right. And they're pretty strict on it also, yeah.
3: What I was wondering about is, Rob, remember when we talked about changing names? It would be cool to run an experiment where we just named the same hop with the same beer, named it different hops. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, yeah, you could. I mean, you could do that. Um, even so calling something Taihiki as opposed to New Zealand Cascade. Um, that could lead to different perceptions about the beer, even though they're the same thing. Like Taihiki is just renamed from New Zealand Cascade. Yeah, right. Because it is so different. Yeah. So I want to get back to the terroir
2: question really quick too. I agree with uh, Alex that there are all these different, you know, variables, but, um, and that's the exciting thing is trying to kind of hone din- hone down on all of those and see if you could make a difference and kind of, you know, whether it's through farming practices or what, you know, influence the the aroma of the hop. And I think some of the work that Ann, Dr. Ann Van Hall out of Belgium has done has shown that, you know the, the whole terroir aspect and the genetics of the plant and the environment where it's grown, um, and the models that she developed are are have a greater impact on flavor and aroma than any seasonal variation. Um, but that is a really good question. You know, thinking about all these different factors.
0: Yeah, and it also gets more difficult to control for these types of experiments that we're trying to do with growing these hops like 2,000 miles apart. So trying to coordinate these efforts to have like control for as much as you can makes that extremely difficult.
1: Sure. So I'd like to touch just a little bit on the results of some of this work. Can we talk a little bit about what is unique about Michigan Chinook?
3: Sure, Alex.
2: I that'll probably be you. <laughs>
3: um I, th- I think that just um let me i'm pulling up something right now to reference so uh, there's nothing i don't i don't think we know enough to say right now there's something unique about michigan chinook that we don't know if we have a correlation with michigan chinook i know that we know that from a sensory standpoint like we know that from Intuitively and sensory, that we smell more tropical aromas, and we just we just know that just to, from even rubbing hops that you know these smell more right. like pineapple. They they don't yeah. smell as much like pine. So from from the analysis we did, and and we I can't wait to do more of this. Um, you know, one of the terpenes uh, that was absent in Michigan Chinook was a- alpha pinene, and I mean absent. I meant absent at the at the levels that. Um, they were present in Oregon and Washington. In Oregon, the, the alpha-pinene was, was um, about 10 times higher than uh, in the Washington, and it was absent below 500 ppb in, um, in the Michigan hops. So So Alex, I
1: don't want to jump in and disrupt your train of thought here, but can you explain why the levels of alpha pinene, like how are those related to what we experience in terms of aroma?
3: I don't think we know that either. I think that if you smelled alpha pinene by itself, it would smell like pine. But what that's what's so interesting about like the olfactory in our brains is when we get all of these compounds in into our into our olfactory into our nose, um, mm-hmm. they the the relative concentrations of those change our perception. So if we were to just smell alpha pinene, it would smell like pine. But if we smell alpha pinene at that same concentration with a bunch of other aromas and say hundreds of other compounds, it might not smell like pine at all, depending on mm-hmm. all the other stuff. So just looking at The analysis from like a a two factor like like or like binary kind of like relationship, it's you can't you can't necessarily make a determination about how something smells.
1: Yeah, so I think what I'm trying to get at here is, can you describe a little bit about like what this chemical analysis is? Because I'm not sure everybody understands like the type of information that we're collecting. Yeah.
3: So we so the, there's a there's a couple different classes of compounds that um, that make up you know the good proportion of, of aroma that we smell in hops and in, mo- in, in in all in all plants and in all uh, you know in in the world um, terpenes are a huge uh, a huge component of of the smells that we smell um, every day especially plant based um, smells. So um their compounds each of them we were able to me- we were measuring 42 I think and we found below you know our our range our our, our dynamic range we found uh, 10 of them that were present in hops there undoubtedly there was hundreds of them that were at lower levels but it's just um the, the this particular experiment and the instrumentation that we had set up um, that was, you know, kind of a different experiment. We can look really low, but, um, it's, it's a different instrument setup. Um, uh, just
1: yeah, this of, was kind uh, of a first look to see what stood out.
3: Yeah. I think that this is kind of just scratching the surface. It's like, okay, we terpenes are really easy to analyze at this range. Um, we, we have standards readily available for them. Um, we, we pay attention to them. Um, when you get, when, when hop growers or hop, uh, or hot buyers uh, get uh, analysis, a chemical analysis. Um, usually that's what they're looking at. They're looking at the total oil, which is primarily the total essential oil uh, from the plant, which is primarily terpenes. And then they're getting the levels of a couple um, a couple primary terpenes. Um, and that like Well, when we talked to Alec Mall about this and he, you know, he talked about, well, we look at, you know, mercine, we don't want mercine too high because it contributes too much kind of grassy, planty aroma. And I think that we like know enough to, to be, to make a little bit of an informed decision based on the analytics, but it's not, uh, we don't know so much that we can look at analytics and know what something smells like. So it's interesting data. But it doesn't really, it really doesn't mean anything yet. And I think it will in the future as we get bigger data and we can use, you know, tools that make the data smarter, um, I think we'll know more about it. But I don't think anyone can look at a chromatogram and, and say, oh, I know what that smells like. <laughs> and it never will be that way, really, but or it might be something
1: kind of looking for some initial correlation, but it's probably yeah. going to be way down the road before we can actually, you know, say yeah. this is the actual cause of the aroma. Right.
3: And it all start. And you, the pine thing. I mean, I think that what was cool about this is that we know that this wasn't like the, the Michigan hops don't smell as much like pine and they had really low levels of alpha pinene, um, or, or, non-detect on, on our instruments. So we know that we could, you know, pretty safely say that that has something to do with them not smelling as much like pine. Um, sure, kind
1: would- of when there's smoke, there's fire. And I mean, it was, I think what's really interesting to me is, at least from my understanding is this was a, an observation really made by brewers initially that, sure. you know, they started recognizing that, hey, there's something special about this Michigan Chinook. It's not what I expect a Chinook to smell like based on my experience with Pacific Northwest hops, So I think it's kind of, you know, maybe following that idea down the rabbit hole to look Mm
3: -hmm. for the reason. Well, what was interesting is um, this, this other compound we found um, this is called methyl butyrate and it's a pineapple aroma. And this is what we described as um, like what, you know, uh, this is what it's an it's an ester uh, it's not a terpene and we described you know the Michigan hops as oh these smell really pineappley, but mm-hmm. the hop that was described as um it, it, the data doesn't doesn't correlate really the the hop that one of the hops that was described as is more pineapple one of the Michigan hops was the lowest uh, level of methyl butyrate um mm-hmm. The other Michigan hop was the second highest. And then uh, the first and third uh, high, uh, were uh, the Washington, which was maybe the least uh, pineapple smelling yeah. hop. Uh, and this is just my, this wasn't, there was no data collected on this. This was just my own sensory perception as I thought the Washington one smelled the least like pineapple. Um, and that actually had the highest level of that compound. So, so
1: it's clearly not a one for one, like you described, it could be an interplay of things It could, you know, potentially be one usurping the other or modifying our perception of it. There's kind of like an endless variety of, of options.
3: Yeah. And that was just one compound and there's a ton of different compounds that smell like pineapple. And that was, that's the thing about looking in this, it's a needle in the haystack. There's potentially thousands of compounds and and this not just like we didn't use all the in this experiment just like the last one we didn't use all the tools we have um to really look deep into this we looked at we looked at 40 compounds and then a couple different esters there's probably 100 esters that we could look at um at different levels that multiple different ones smell like um pineapple so if we did this again, we could, we could just knowing what we know now, it's like, let's take a, a much deeper dig into this. And, um, you know, we, we just basically looked at a very small amount of what the real aroma fingerprint really is. And and it's not easy to do. It's not easy to quantitate hundreds of compounds, um, from a sample. It, uh, it's, you know, takes, takes a lot of work. So, um, but we're excited to do it.
1: Well, in that intersection of that quantitative data with this qualitative kind of um, aroma um, evaluation is is really interesting and I think pretty unique to some of this work, um, which is exciting. And I mean, any excuse to talk about Michigan hops and what's special about them is, is always um, a great time. Um, yeah, for
3: sure. <laughs>
2: can i jump in real quick aaron um and i want to ask alex about uh you know even though the equipment they're using is super sensitive how does it compare to like the human nose in detecting some of these i mean uh, uh,
3: yeah it doesn't really i mean i mean you can it can detect these it it has a lot uh the instruments we'd have to use and the sensitivity you know we'd have to use to find some of these compounds that have really strong effects on our aroma um yeah the effort is is unmatched the nose is is much more powerful than these instruments um and like we can detect compounds that we can't measure for sure and we're or we're just being able to ver- like just being able to measure them and we're talking sub sub ppt levels sub parts per trillion
1: i was completely ready for you to say the exact opposite of what you just said for that i would have thought the instrument would have been well i and maybe it comes from that whole idea that we have such poor like you know olfactory senses compared to like dogs or things like that but i thought
3: the instrument i mean the 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 problem is is that the like it's very hard to um to tease compounds out of, out of background. So mass spec is super, super powerful. Um, but the noise involved in, in isolating a single compound from a sample at such small levels is it's just a difficult thing to do. But yeah, some of these instruments can, um, uh, uh, detect like compounds at uh, sub PPT levels for sure they can, but finding the one you're looking for, finding a standard, uh, that can calibrate that low, um, teasing that compound out of the matrix, all this different stuff is, is, and then we're talking about really small compounds too. We're talking about compounds that some of these esters and thials and stuff, it's, they're not very, the masses aren't very large. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, the instruments are really, really powerful, but I undoubtedly, the nose right. is more powerful. I mean, that's
1: really yeah. interesting.
3: It's so like these, the like thials. um, Rob, you sent me some literature. I think that they were measuring that stuff at, you know, what was it? A couple PPT.
2: Yeah. The, some of the work they're doing in Germany. And that's one of the interesting things is, you know, all these, the, the big hot merchants are, you know, it just used to be total oil they're sending out. And then you know, this with the switch from, you know, a lot of growers, you just growing hops for alpha for bittering and now with craft beer, all the aroma, and now they're putting, you know, three or four or five different terpene levels on there. But, you know, just talking to, to Alex, some of these styles in way lower amounts can have equally, if not much more effect on, on aroma, uh, which is just crazy to think about.
1: Yeah. So for, for those that aren't familiar with that terminology, PPT is parts per trillion. Um, so it's kind of a, an indication of the dilution factor for that, um, in a suspension or in whatever you're measuring. So, I mean, a lot of times we talk about parts per million. So parts per trillion is really getting into, you know, these just minuscule amounts, um, of yeah, these so that's really interesting.
2: Like my net worth compared to Jeff Bezos, or <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah. yeah and if
1: he's retiring early, like to add insult to injury, he's gonna enjoy his life.
3: Apparently, <laughs> yeah. I, I would. Geez, why would you want to be stressed if you have that much money?
1: I mean, I think we all think we would, but you know, you always see all these super rich people like working right up to the end. So, I don't know, I'm jealous for sure. (laughs) Um, so one of my other questions i mean and maybe we've kind of touched on this but just like what are you guys excited about um aaron from kind of the economics perspective and alex maybe from the kind of lab science perspective in terms of the future of this research like what is you know what's getting you guys most excited about these concepts moving forward
0: I'm really excited to drink beer in tap rooms again. Um, (laughs) Me too. Yeah, so that's what I'm excited for. No, I'm excited to do these uh, studies in person. So there was a recently published paper in food quality and preference um, that looks at uh, consumer willingness to pay for local hops and beer. Um, The study's conducted in Indiana. Um, And it's all just online hypothetical stuff, just like ours was. Um, But they they do find evidence of consumers being willing to pay a premium for local hops. And if brewers know this, um, and indeed, we also have survey data that suggests that brewers believe that the consumers would be willing to pay a premium for local hops, which may contribute to why brewers themselves would be willing to pay a premium. Mm -hmm. Um, But actually putting like the sensory attribute component to this, uh, specifically with the Michigan Chinook uh, that we've been talking about. So that's something I'm really excited about moving forward.
3: I'm excited to kind of hone in and have a little bit more controlled experiments. I think that you know early on we're casting a wide net to kind of see what we're interested in and see what could be the most exciting next thing to dig into and we've been trying this for a couple of years and I would really like this to happen. Um, you know, hopefully some days that we have a research farm that we can really control inputs and different things like that. And, 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 and just do some, do some cool studies, um, in an, in a controlled environment on a real farm. I think that it'd be great. I think that, um, um, and we'll, we'll get there. I think, you know, the, the Michigan hop industry's had its its you know ups and downs so far, but it's ultimately I think people are going to be growing hops here more and more. I think it's a great climate for it, um, and there's some breweries here, Bell's and Founders that really want to see that happen. And mm-hmm. we're gonna we're gonna mature, and hopefully someday um, we'll we'll be able to you know. And I don't I think it'll be someday soon. You know, maybe in the next couple of years we can get a really good research plot going. And it'll um, yeah. it'll almost it'll probably almost be as good as the one Rob Robin <laughs> Almost the infamous There was a, there was a hop we had uh, called the Sarine Sensimia. I don't know if I <laughs> <around>. <laughs> watch out. Yeah, no, don't think, try to smoke it, kids.
1: <laughs> I think that um the industry in Michigan doesn't give itself enough credit for how far um, we've come. And I think certainly it's been, you know, painful at times, but this is a, a brand new, at least like for any living Michigander, brand new industry in this region. And um, I think on a lot of levels, it makes sense to have it here. And so I'm I'm really excited and optimistic about the future and anything to get growers paid, I'm excited about. So I'm really excited about this work you guys are doing tops are positioned um, for some, for some uh, nice rewards in the future. Um, Alex Adams, if people want to learn more about your work, where can they go?
3: Um, com. We don't really put very much on the website right now, but uh, we're on mm-hmm. Instagram and, uh, and Facebook. I, we're not really doing tons of social right now, but I think that the marketing is going to ramp up a little bit, but yeah, you know, those places. And awesome. you're a uh,
2: testing facility for cannabis and hops?
3: Yeah. yeah. Analytics. I mean, okay. On a ton of hop stuff. Like I wouldn't, we're not marketing outwardly that we're doing hop testing. There's so many things that the hop testing labs do that we're not doing. Like we don't have distillation units for total oil and stuff, but if, if a hop, if any hop farmers wanted to know a terpene profile, we could definitely do that. I think in the future, it's something we might expand into, but we're just so busy right now with, with the cannabis stuff that, um it's it's not really easy to easy to switch uh switch the stream so um but yeah yeah i mean we're in traverse city and um hopefully when if we can get past this and open the open the country back up you know if anyone ever Mm -hmm. wants to stop by and check it out you're more than welcome
1: thanks and aaron staples how about you how can we learn more about your work
0: i head to my website aaronjstaples.com uh You'll find About Me section, so learn more about me um, and my research interests. And then I'm also on Twitter, at Aaron J. Staples. Um, So those are probably the two easiest ways to get in touch with me or through email. Uh, My MSU email is staple, uh, so drop that last S, 71, at msu.edu.
1: All right. And we'll put that contact information and the links to your social media stuff in um, the podcast notes so people can easily access those. But um, we really appreciate you guys joining us today. Our first podcast Yay. ever. So Woo-hoo. you guys Ooh. you guys were a great group to have on. So easy to talk to and fun. So we'll be keeping an eye out for the publication of that untapping terroir paper and be sure to share that widely as well. So We're looking forward to reading more about what you guys have been doing. So thanks.
0: Thanks guys. Thanks for having us.
3: Yeah. Thank you.